Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods. Putting STEM into every classroom, every day. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Woods. Thanks for joining us as we talk with great educators doing amazing things in STEM and STEAM especially when you add those arts in there. And today we get to chat with Bill Van Lu. He's a technology and engineering teacher at A2 STEAM in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He is a maker, teacher, musician, and photographer. And Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. Yeah, and it's so exciting to chat with you because you got such a wide variety of skills. You're not just a teacher. So first off, you can find Bill on, on Twitter at Bill Van Lu Teach. You can find him on Instagram, Bill Van Lu and BillVanLu.com. Um, but Bill, why don't you just tell us about how you got into education in the first place? Because it's kind of an interesting story, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, it was certainly unexpected for me. So I'm a second career teacher. Uh, even though I grew up with two educators as my parents, my dad was a high school science teacher. Uh, my mom was a librarian. Education was never something that I necessarily considered coming out of, uh, coming out of school myself. Um, I went to Michigan Tech for um, scientific and technical communication because I saw that program as being something where I could take the technical interests that I have and uh, as well as the communication skills that I'd been kind of building up through writing and public speaking and okay. kind of bring those two things together. Um, and so I actually honestly went in kind of naively because I really don't think I entirely understood what that program was really about. Um, but it was very fortunate because I went to Michigan Tech Sort of right at the time where the internet and the World Wide Web were starting to really become uh, what we start to know of them as today. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so we use that cliche about like preparing students for jobs that don't exist. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened to me. Uh, you know, I started at Michigan Tech in 1993. And by the time I graduated, I had already interned and worked for two different companies doing web development and wow. then went on to have an eight year career doing web design, web development programming. And, and uh, interaction design. Mid to late 90s. That's, that's early. Yeah. Yeah. So really starting in 96 and uh, continuing through um, until 2005, uh, you know, finishing school and uh, interning and then going back and working full time. And it was really during my time in college and then in uh, my career as a web developer that I really realized that education was something that I was interested in. And so for me, that was a couple of experiences. It was working in the uh, computer lab at Michigan Tech, assisting okay. users as a consultant, uh, working in the writing center, helping people develop their writing skills. Um, and then I went on to do a, uh, to teach a class in sound design at the College for Creative Studies. And all of those things together kind of made me realize that that was something I was interested in pursuing. And, uh, and so my wife, you know, when we had uh, kids, our kids were growing up and she said, you know, you're good at this. Why don't you think about doing this? And I'd been thinking about it, but she kind of gave me that push and said, Hey, it would be great to do that now instead of at the end of your business career, which had always sort of been my thought as I yeah. started thinking about it. Uh, and so then in 2005, I left my job and went back and uh, pursued my education credentials. Wow. So I've been in the classroom now since 2007. Wow. So, th and that's such a good story, especially for kids who think that, you know, you're just going to do one job for the whole rest of your life, which I think a lot of kids still believe is true. Um, sure. Yeah. That, that ability to be able to change and use your skills and, and come up with, with something else that you really enjoy doing. And again, you found something you you enjoy and, and you are, you, I've seen Bill uh, speak at a couple different conferences and, and things before, and, and he's just very passionate about sharing 
those ideas to help engage kids in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, I feel very fortunate to to be able to have gone from something I enjoyed doing uh, to something that I enjoyed doing and not leaving those skills behind, but being able to bring them into the classroom with me, those skills and those experiences um, of having worked in the uh, in the larger business world as well as education. And you can kind of draw some of those things into the classroom. You can tell kids, yeah, this is what, you know, the jobs out there look like. These are the kinds of skills you're going to need no matter what kind of thing you're doing. Like you, you're, you're a musician and a photographer and, and maker and all these things kind of that, that you have passion about, but yet you can draw them and connect them with all the technology and engineering skills as well. Yeah, I find that I find that just so personally satisfying and, and really such a way to engage students. Um, and like you were saying, I am able to draw on those experiences. In fact, on literally on Monday, I was talking to my uh, computer science for innovators and makers class, my physical computing class. Mm-hmm. We were introducing this idea of pair programming, where there's a driver and a navigator, two people working on the same piece of code at the same time. And the video that we use to present it seems kind of little kiddish, like a little bit elementary school. And these are middle schoolers. So they're a little bit jaded already. Yeah. Um, You know, and so the fun thing is like I played this video and I went, you know what? This might look like one of those sort of fake school things. Like kids are good at detecting what's real and what's just sort of playing at school and doing cool things. And I was able to say, you know, this is actually a real practice. I, I did this for a couple of years at the tail end of my web development career. We had two programmers sitting down doing this together. There's a company in Ann Arbor called Menlo Innovations that does that for their entire development team. There are two programmers working at the same computer, you know, working together collaboratively on a piece of code. So yeah, being able to draw on those prior experiences and bring those into the classroom, I've found has been really, uh, really beneficial for me. Wow, and just a, a side note right there, I'm just thinking of how many teachers out there have added some coding and, and programming kind of things to their classroom already. I bet a lot of them have not considered that idea that you were just talking about there. Share, kind of unpack that a little bit for, for us if you could. Yeah, absolutely. So pair programming is a development technique that comes out of this sort of agile school of development. Agile is sort of a whole family of practices for doing uh, programming and software development. Okay. And the idea of pair programming is that there's one person called the driver, and they're the person who is literally sitting at the computer typing in code or, you know, in case of a visual programming language like Scratch, maybe dragging blocks out. Okay. Um, and then the navigator is the person who's kind of watching over their shoulder, sitting side by side with them. Uh, thinking, you know, just like a navigator for a car might do, like, okay, there's a turn coming up. So you just put in this function definition. Hey, don't forget to, uh, don't forget what you need to return from that function. Maybe we should put that line of code in now so that we don't forget it later on. Yeah. Uh, You know, I noticed you missed, you mistyped something there. Just basically being able to bounce ideas off. Um, And so companies as big as Google uh, to as small as, you know, tiny startups use that practice uh, in different ways, you know, and so in our environment, as we look at the four C's, collaboration, of course, is one of the one of the oh, four C's that we yeah. teach students about. And so um, and so paraprogramming can be a really good way to deeply embed that in the practice of doing programming, because it can otherwise be kind of a solitary thing, like yeah. just you and the computer trying to wrestle, figure this thing out. Yeah. And, and often that doesn't that doesn't allow for extra creativity. And like you said, to bounce those ideas off each other. Yeah. And that could be a really powerful technique. Like you said, that collaboration piece for, for students in your classroom. So definitely great idea, Bill. And again, we're chatting with Bill Van Lu. You can find him on Twitter at Bill Van Lu Teach and BillVanLu.com and Instagram, Bill Van Lu. All those things, of course, be in the show notes as well. Now, you got to start with your school, that A2 STEAM, uh, really right from its inception in 2014. Tell us about that process of helping to create a STEAM school right from the start. It is one of the most 
uh, amazing experiences of my life, frankly. And, and super easy, uh, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It wasn't hard or stressful at all, just, ever. You just open the box <laughs> and get the, get the kids out, kits out. Yeah. And, and it's perfect. Yeah. No, it's great. No, uh, in all seriousness, though, it really, it has been uh, and continues to be one of the most amazing experiences of my life. So coming out of, uh, coming out of school, working on my educational credentials, uh, I finished in 2007 and taught for a, a public charter school in Washtenaw County, where Ann Arbor is, for seven years. Okay. Uh, and I taught in the classroom doing technology and engineering and also working as the school's technology director because it was a very small school. And then in 2014, um, the superintendent of Ann Arbor Public Schools, Dr. Swift, um, worked with the school board and a set of community members to start re-envisioning what could happen with um, one of the elementary schools in the district that was under-enrolled and underperforming. And uh, throughout a series of meetings and planning and discussion, they sort of hit on the idea of turning it into the district's second K-8 program. Um, with a focus on project-based learning and STEAM. And so at that time, uh, I was fortunate enough to be hired on by Ann Arbor Public Schools. Um, so in the summer of 2014, I, uh, I started at A2 STEAM. And what I've told people often is that starting A2 STEAM was the closest to being at a startup kind of environment than I've yeah. ever, that I've experienced or maybe even heard of in public education. And a big part of that was that Dr. Swift uh, designated A2 STEAM as a, uh, as a pilot program. And so what that meant is uh, once the principal was chosen to head up the new program, there was complete autonomy for who was hired on for those positions. And in fact, the teachers that had been at that elementary school previously were eligible to apply for those jobs, but so was anybody else in the district and from outside the district, which included gotcha. me. Yeah. Um, and so what that ended up with was a group of teachers who all wanted to be there in that place, teaching that approach in that program. Um, and that sense of shared value of yeah. wanting to be there um, and being deeply invested in it, I think is really, in many ways, the key to A2 STEAM's uh, you know, success. That's, that's um, just a, you think through like at any school, if, if you had everybody in your school with 100% buy-in, like I want to be there each and every day. Right. I'm, yeah. I, I'm part of the success of this from the ground up. What a, what an right. empowering thought that is. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, it's really been amazing and certainly not without its, its uh, pitfalls and its challenges and stressors. Yeah. Uh, you know, our school was under nearly constant physical construction for the first two years because we were taking an elementary school building and turning it into a K through eight program, including middle school. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was uh, a, a lot of renovation and um, some major uh, expansion that happened in our school building. You know, there was a lot of, you know, our joke was that we were building the plane while we were flying it a lot <laughs> of the time, you know, yeah. starting with essentially no curriculum, some project based learning training and a lot of ideas. And really working through that that first year. Um, you know, I walked into my room the first day and there was no furniture. There were no chairs, no tables. I literally assembled all the tables for my lab, you know, over those first periods. Yeah. But it was, it was super exciting. And just to see where we're at now in year five, um, just is, it's so rewarding and it's so exciting to think about what the next five years of A2 STEAM are going to look like. Yeah. Now thinking through any teacher who's, who's looking at their own STEM lab or STEAM lab in their school or classroom or trying to begin one, trying to start even just a small little maker space or some STEM stations in their classroom. What are some of the best things that, that you found that really worked well, that really caught the kids' attention, that really helped push those, those kids forward to, to new heights? 
Um, the advice that I really like to give teachers is to start small and to start with something that you yourself are interested in and passionate about in some way. Gotcha. And so what that means is if the, if the teacher that's driving this initiative isn't actually excited about that themselves, I think that often translates into whatever the project or the activity is. So mm -hmm. if you're somebody where your thing is textiles and fibers and fabric, and you want to bring a STEM-related project into the classroom, maybe wearable technology like simple wearable, uh, you know, circuits are the thing yeah. that you want to that you want to start with. If you're somebody that's really into woodworking, maybe you know, designing and building a thing as a class community is the thing that you want to start with. You know, if you're really into rockets, maybe that's the thing you start with. You know, so starting with something that's small and that you're interested in yourself, I think there's a lot of power there because it allows you to leverage the passion that you bring to the thing. And I think that, I think that kind of naturally rubs off. Not every student's going to share that same passion, Oh yeah, exactly. but at least you're starting from that point. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, that's a great piece of advice. Thank you, Bill. Um, and, and then I know in your, your classroom, I mean, what is your classroom like? Is it, is it more like a lab? Is it free flowing? Um, is it, is it something that every, every STEM teacher would go, wow, I would love to have this. <laughs> um, yeah, let me unpack that for a second. So I feel incredibly fortunate to be in the lab that I'm in. Yeah. Um, it has changed over the years. And in was that was actually sort of part of the plan from the very beginning. So in 2014, you know, like I said, A2 STEAM was a traditional elementary school building. And so a lot of the work that happened to physically renovate the building was to build out a, uh, a lab in our school's basement that was going to be the STEAM lab for those first two years. Yeah. While a new gymnasium was being built and additional middle school classrooms were being built um, with the ultimate intention of taking the former elementary school gym, dividing it in half and half of that becoming my steam lab. Okay. So that's where we're at right now, where five years in, um, I have half of what had been the elementary school gym. And it's actually a really amazing space because yeah. the high ceilings are still there. They actually left the wood floors and just stripped and refinished them. So there's natural wood floors. Oh, wow. Um, that's cool. It's the architects did a beautiful job. It's a beautiful airy space. There's almost no natural light to the, to the outside, but there are windows to the hallway and with the high ceilings and the, and the, uh, and the lights in there, it really feels like open and airy. Um, and so you could like launch things inside there and have plenty of room yeah. to work on, work on big, tall projects and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Our, our, uh, our elementary science Olympiad folks are running their, um, their, uh, their rocket, their like paper rocket launching stuff after schools, <laughs> uh, after school on a few days a week in there because it does have 35 foot ceilings or something like that. So I have kind of a combination of spaces. So the steam lab is my daily teaching space. Gotcha. And it's really focused on sort of the uh, the design and technology aspects of my program. So things like doing computer science, doing robotics, doing digital fabrication, like 3D printing and using the vinyl cutter, um, all of those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, and then that basement lab where I started has become our building's makerspace. And so that's a shared space that anybody in our building can sign out, just like you might sign out a computer lab, bring your class down there, use the resources that are there. Um, the makerspace functions the same way. Um, it also functions as the classroom for our art teacher for a couple of classes a day. So she's there really bringing uh, the art piece to the, to, uh, to steam yeah. um, because we've, we've grown significantly. Uh, you know, we're at about 650 or so students K through eight right now. So we're kind of bursting at the seams already, even with the expansion that we did. Wow. So, yeah, so that's, that's what my program looks like. Um, this year is, is sort of a change for me in terms of how I see students. Like I said, because we've grown so much, 
uh, we were able to bring on a second specialist to run our young fives through fourth grade technology and engineering program. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. Primarily focused on computer science and coding. Okay. Uh, but also integrating some technology and engineering things besides that as well. And then now this year, I get to focus primarily on fifth or eighth grade, which is kind of my sweet spot personally. <laughs> and, and even just listening to you, Bill, share about uh, everything in your, your STEAM lab, um, I think you would probably be one of the first ones to admit that just that space on its own, whether you have a really fancy space with the 35-foot ceilings and the, you know, the nice hardwood floors or not, it's it's more than that that really makes that space for creating for kids. Yeah, I think space is important and and design of spaces is something that I'm personally really interested in and excited by. I mm -hmm. think there, you know, there are a lot of things that having a, a good physical space and good use and layout of your space can do for you. Mm -hmm. um, and that can help this, create that mood for kids too. Right. You know, but like you said, the space itself on its own doesn't do anything what it allows you to do, I think, is, is what's important there. And so for me, what it allows me to do is, uh, you know, one of the favorite things about my lab is that the tables are on wheels. So oh. in five minutes, I can reconfigure my lab to have a 10 by 20 foot open area by just unlocking a couple tables and moving them to the side. So that when it's time to, you know, race those robotic dragsters or, you know, gather everybody in a circle to do a team building activity or whatever it is, right. that's really quick and easy to do. Yeah. So it's not so much about the space, it's just what it allows you to do in the space. Yeah. And that's a, actually a really good idea. If you can, if you can get your tables to be on, on wheels like that, to be able to move things around, to reconfigure that space and, and probably help, I'm sure the students help figure out what would be the best configuration for what we're doing at, at different times as well. Well, I will say, you know, that's one of those pieces where the, the sort of, uh, the utopia of a free classroom environment and students having complete autonomy to move and adapt things as they need sounds great. But in practice, I definitely still have some more traditional classroom management things that I do, like having tabled numbers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and to, depending on the class and the group, some students really need that structure of being at a specific table number in a specific location. Yeah. You know, the whole, uh, you know, the whole aspect of accommodating for uh, for students with individual needs or IPs or 504s where they need preferred seating towards the front. All of those things come into play as well. Right. So it's always a balancing act between uh, being able to take advantage of complete student autonomy and agency to decide where they sit and how they arrange things and really still needing to to make sure your classroom is flowing well as a teacher. Yeah, cool. Now, um, maybe one thing also we can we can get you to chat about just a little bit. And again, we're chatting sure. with Bill Van Lu, and and thanks again um, for all these great ideas, Bill. Just thinking through the fact that you have a STEAM lab, and yeah. more so than just a a STEM lab. Now, I'm sure you and I both just naturally see that art aspect to so many different aspects of of STEM. But how do you design your your STEAM lab in such a way to help draw out some of those art aspects? I know you're really, you know, you're a musician and a photographer and so many other things. Um, how do you how do you kind of grab some of those extra aspects out? You know, one of the one of my favorite examples from this school year has been uh, from my computer science for innovators and makers class. So that's an elective class that students mm -hmm. take. Um, I actually see all of our sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, uh, with very few exceptions. Um, but I do have a, a sort of a true elective class as well that students can opt to take as well. Okay. And uh, in in this past term, uh, I had some students who were were in the class and they were doing fine. They were doing all the required work, but it wasn't like lighting anything inside them. There wasn't that spark that was really driving them forward on their own until I introduced 
some of our digital fabrication tools. And so we did a little bit with our 3D printers, but uh, what really got them was the vinyl cutter. When they realized they could design things and have the vinyl cutter cut it out for them, all of a sudden they were super engaged and super excited. And that art and design aspect was the thing that really hooked them because that was sort of their natural um, you know, their natural thing. They're interested in, uh, it happened to be a group of girls that were really interested in fashion and sort of pop culture. And so the ability to like make a sticker that represented a piece of that, that was cool. something that really drew them in. I had another, uh, another girl in that same class actually, whose passion really is drawing and she's just drawing all the time. Yeah. And what we were able to do was to take one of her original drawings, trace it, and then actually cut it out on vinyl to become a piece of one of her projects. That was a thing that was and it was an integral part of the project. It wasn't just an aesthetic thing like tacked on to yeah. the side of it. It was something that really embodied what that project was about. So being able to pull on those different things that students are interested in, whether it is, I want to sit down and just code and all I care about is coding or I want to draw and I want to bring those things together. That's, that for me is the, um, is the power of integrating the arts and having it as a stated goal that art and design are an important part and that everybody can bring their strengths to play. Yeah. And, and really, as you as you see those things in that classroom community that you've created, you know, taking the time to actually figure out what are those kids passionate about that? That's such an important aspect. And, and sometimes it's tough for some teachers because you're teaching sure. hundreds of kids, especially maybe in a in a K, you know, like you in a K six or K eight kind of situation where yeah. you might be only seeing those kids once a week. You know, right. Yeah, that could be really no, I, to do. Absolutely. I mean, this year, I happen to see our fifth graders once a week for 45 minutes. And that's definitely harder. I, I, you know, I definitely acknowledge that that is a harder situation to, to have that time to build those relationships and get to know each student better. Um, One of the things that's nice about working in the K through eight program is that I've gotten to see a lot of our students through the years. So if they started as a second grader, you know, I might have known them for four years now at this point. Um, And so being able to leverage those relationships and build on those things has been uh, has been a real joy. That's great. Well, thanks for listening to part one of our interview with Bill Van Lu on the STEM Everyday podcast. Check out part two, where we talk more about using cardboard in your classroom, building community in that classroom. And what does Bill mean when he says that education is like throwing things over the wall? Again, you can find Bill on Twitter at Bill Van Lu Teach or at Bill Van Lu on Instagram or BillVanLu.com. And you can check out the show notes for all that information and so much more. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Connect with me on Twitter at DailyStem or at DailyStem.com. And we'll talk to you again on part two. You're listening to this podcast on the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit RemarkableChatter.com.